My own personal testimony, which I've given, is that I was saved, thankfully, when I was very young, uh, through Sunday school outreach. Uh, I was not raised in a Christian home, but I was saved because of children's work, Sunday school outreach, very early. And I went to a Bible camp uh, when I was in my early teens. And in that experience of being at this Bible camp, I came into what they called the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a very, very young teenager. And when it began, uh, I began this whole journey. Uh, God gave me a vision. Long before I spoke in tongues, uh, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. And that vision told me basically much about God's call upon my life. I didn't really understand it a lot at the time, but nevertheless... God knows the beginning from the end and gave me a real vision so clear that I could articulate it very well today in living color. It was so vivid and so very real to me. But at this Bible camp, I was supposed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, so those who wanted the baptism, you know, go to the front and everyone gets around you and lay hands on you and gives you all sorts of advice, do this and do that, and, and they're shouting at you and they're speaking in tongues in your ear and they're going at it and, and nothing ever happened to me. Um, so eventually this went on to the next person I was standing there on my own and after I was standing there on my own I made the decision I'm just going to start speaking in tongues without anybody around me and I made the decision to do it and I did and that is some 44, 43, 42 years later and it wasn't a hard thing for me to begin to speak in tongues uh, but the way they were going about it trying to get me to do this and do that simply did not work. In my part, it was just a decision. I'm going to start doing it. And that was, say, some 42 or years ago. And I don't think I'd be lying to you if I said I have spoken in tongues probably almost every day since, since that time. And it's a wonderful benefit. By the time we get through this bit of a series here, I'm hoping everybody was going to see the absolute benefit and nobody in their right mind would refuse uh, to speak in tongues as we begin to see what the scripture has to say. This topic about speaking in tongues can evoke a variety of reactions from people. There are different groups to whom I would be addressing in any public place where I would speak on this topic, whether it's in a situation like this or if I'm a guest speaker in a church somewhere else and I would say, well, the topic is speaking in tongues, I can just imagine people having all sorts of reactions. Many people are open, and many people are truly hungry for whatever God has. No question, if God wants me to speak in tongues, then let's go for it. And there's just no reservation whatsoever. If God wants you to dance on the tabletop, you do it. You know, I'm not suggesting that you should, but, but you're just open for whatever. If God wants it, let's do it. I mean, there's just no questions asked, no cautions, no nothing. Let's just go for it. There are people like that. There are those who aren't so open, but they're willing to be open if they can get some good teaching and instruction. That they have a little bit of caution, or if you can help me to understand, then... I'm willing to move forward to that. So there are those who depend upon a good teacher to help understand. There are those who have no experience whatsoever. You've been in church forever, but you have no Pentecostal experience whatsoever. 
you have no exposure to Pentecostal things, and yet you've been Christian for, for so long, and because of the no exposure, there tends to be an attitude of fear towards the things of the Holy Spirit, an attitude of fear towards any kind of outward expression whatsoever, and that fear is real. There are other people that used to be Pentecostal in past, but are not today. There are people that used to, years ago, decades ago, embrace Pentecostal things, but for some reason, either because you were hurt, or because eventually you found it didn't satisfy, or because it led to abuses, or there was a church split, or there was tension over whatever, you've been hurt, or you've been ridiculed, or you lost respectability in the eyes of other people, that you used to be Pentecostal, but are not currently. And then there are people who are cautious about these kinds of things, because you've all heard stories of things gone wild. Something went, went haywire. Something was, you know, well, back in 20 years ago, I remember this happening, and it ended up in a split, and it ended up in craziness, and went off the rails, and all these kinds of things, and you're cautious because you've heard of past abuses, or you've witnessed or you've experienced past abuses, and the response is that you tend to shy away from it, or you just shut it down, or you want to remove all spontaneity in church services because of the fear, well, where is this going to lead us to? Where is this going? I want you to note that Paul's answer to abuse about gifts of the Spirit, especially speaking in tongues, which we're going to look at in detail today, was not to shut it down. He did not take spontaneity away from the church. He did not shut down the gifts of the Spirit. What he does do is he gives guidelines for its proper use so that it's used in a way to edify the church. He didn't take away liberty, but he with wisdom gave guidelines to help. Uh, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Has this been abused? Yes. Anything can be abused. Is that a reason to shut something down? The answer is absolutely not. We don't shut things down because they have been abused. We give good teaching about it. I want us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and I'll probably read all the way to verse number 11. I have in front of me the old King James Bible, not because I put it above other versions of the Bible, but it just happens to be the one that's all marked up. It happens to be the one that I grew up with. It happens to be the one I basically got memorized. Uh, but it's not picking one version above the other. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Did you catch that? When it comes to the things of the Spirit, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. And yet I have discovered that Lack of teaching or lack of knowledge in these things, unfortunately, is too common. And maybe not through any choice of our own, we are ignorant. We are ignorant. 
We're ignorant of understanding how every gift of the Spirit operates. We're ignorant of understanding that it takes divine initiative from God and proper human response for any gift of the Spirit to operate. We're ignorant. We think God's going to do the speaking in tongues for you. He doesn't. He'll give you the words, but you're the one who has to do the speaking. We're ignorant of the cooperation of the Holy Spirit and man working together. We're ignorant of the context of love. We're ignorant of the fact that outside of the context of love, that even something like spiritual gifts can have negative effects instead of positive effects. We're ignorant of the place and the necessity of spiritual gifts. The church actually thinks it can can be prepared for the coming of the Lord without the operation of spiritual gifts. I would say, if you think we can be ready for the coming of the Lord without the operation of spiritual gifts, we are ignorant. The Bible plainly says, and we'll look at the scripture, the Bible plainly teaches and plainly says that the gifts of the Spirit in operation are absolutely necessary to prepare you for the coming of the Lord. And without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be somewhat unprepared to meet Jesus when he comes. The Bible plainly, plainly, plainly teaches that. And yet, we're so accustomed to not realizing that, we're quite happy to continue without gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you can't, that position cannot be held from the Scripture. You must must, must have the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We seem to be ignorant of the fact that God is creating a body, that we are members one of another, and it takes the ministry of each part to edify the whole body. That the edification does not come solely from the pastor or the ministers or the preachers. That the edification comes from one another relationships. You have to be members one of another, and a a fellowship of the Spirit uh, between each other as members of the body of Christ for your growth. Um, We can't be ignorant of these things. So it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I would not have you to be ignorant. But the Corinthians were ignorant of several things. Now this concept that God doesn't want us to be ignorant is something that Paul the Apostle will say very, very often. For instance, and we don't have to turn to these scriptures, but just mark them down and, and in your own time read them. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just one page back in your Bible, chapter 10 verse 1, he would say, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant how all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, I don't want you to be ignorant of the things that happened to us in Asia. And when it comes to the coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and verse number 13, now concerning the coming of the Lord, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he talks about how those who are asleep in Christ will rise first. He doesn't want us to be without knowledge. In any of these things. And thus there is the role of a teacher uh, in the body of Christ so that we receive good teaching to get the proper biblical response 
to address all the needs of the various groups of people that I alluded to earlier. Because people are open to hungry for anything and they have no discernment about what they do. You know, if the leader jumps off a cliff, hallelujah, you're going to jump off right after them because it's exciting. You know, and you're just hungry for whatever with no discernment. That's not good. That's ignorance. I'm glad you're hungry, but don't be hungry in ignorance. And yet there are other people who will never jump off a cliff simply because they'll never get out of their chair because they're scared of absolutely everything. That also is ignorance. There's ignorance all around. And the Bible says, I don't want you to be without understanding. Chapter 12, verse 2, it says, You know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand. That's what we're going to attempt to do today. I give you to understand. We're going to try to give understanding. That no man speaking by the Spirit of God can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, this is going to be an important principle, because when Paul gets to the subject of speaking in tongues, the first thing he has to say is that there's more than tongues to the Holy Ghost. More than tongues. That's his first statement he's going to give. There are diversities of gifts, all coming from the same Holy Spirit. As Pentecostal people, let's not limit our experience to tongues. There's more to it. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which works all in all. Notice in verse 4, he mentions the Spirit. Notice in verse 5, he mentions the Lord, the Son. And notice in verse 6, he mentions God, the Father. And just as there is diversity in the oneness of the Godhead, there is diversity in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's first word. He's setting himself up in chapter 12 to tackle the issue of tongues in chapter 14. And his first word is diversity. Diversity, diversity. Even the Godhead, three in one. There's unity, but in that unity there is diversity. And even so in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit, but there's plenty of diversity in the things of the Spirit. Verse number 7 says this, But the manifestation, and I want you to catch that word manifestation, Paul would use in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5 the word demonstration. Demonstration, manifestation, means something is shining forth. It is not a silent influence that you cannot see. Manifestation means something shining forth. Some demonstration. Some observable thing happening here. Manifestation. See that word. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to how many people? How many? Every one. There's a few things I want out of that verse uh, for us to understand. 
And one of the things is, God wants to demonstrate gifts of the Spirit through your life. God wants to demonstrate gifts of the Spirit through you. In case we didn't hear it, I'll say it a third time. God wants to use you in gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is not for an elite two or three people within a congregation. God wants to use everybody in spiritual gifts. Now that doesn't mean that everybody has to do this in the context of church service. I hope that more people would. But it means in your context of evangelizing, your context of ministry outside the walls of the church, inside and outside, God wants to use us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it says in verse number 7, it's given to profit with all. The purpose of any gift of the Spirit, including speaking in tongues, is to bring profit to the church. And this is something that Paul is going to correct because the Corinthians' use of speaking in tongues did not bring profit to the church. It brought confusion. But it's to bring profit. God, as we're going to see in chapter 14, is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. And one of the things that Paul is going to bring out is that the manifestation of any gift of the Spirit needs to be done in the character of the Holy Spirit. And that is of love, but I'm getting ahead of myself. In order to profit, we need to understand that manifestations need to be done in the character of the Holy Spirit. Um, Then it goes on to say in verse 8 to 10, nine different manifestations of the gifts, of the diversities, the operations of the Holy Spirit. Personally, I do not believe this is an exhaustive list. Is every manifestation of the Holy Spirit limited to these nine things? The answer is no. I think there are other manifestations besides these nine, because Paul is not trying to bring out a a, a specific teaching about gifts of the Spirit. He's trying to bring correction to abuses. And so he's going to list things in an ad hoc manner. It's not, I don't believe, necessarily an exhaustive list. But anyway, let's go. Verse number 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecies. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, divers kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to how many? Dividing to how many? Every one of us, severally, as He wills. In other words, He's sovereign in what gifts He gives to who. But He divides gifts to every believer. God wants to use you in the manifestation of spiritual gifts. Now, tongues are listed last in this list. And some people mistakenly have said, because tongues are listed last, then they must be the least 
valuable of the gifts because they're listed last. To which I respond, absolutely hogwash. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'm going to try to demonstrate to you that for your personal life in growing in the things of the Spirit, tongues is the most important gift for you. To grow in the things of the Spirit, tongues is the most important gift for you. I want to demonstrate that, please. It's not least because it is mentioned last. If you go to chapter 12, and if you would skip down to verse number 28, it says, God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, Thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. And tongues is mentioned last in that list as well. Does that mean tongues is the least important gift? And there are other gifts more important than that? The answer is absolutely not. I'll tell you why in a minute, why it is mentioned last. But if you're going to say it's the least because it's mentioned last then using your own same reasoning, read 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, where Paul also gives a list. He says, Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. Well, since love is mentioned last, it must be the least. Is that correct? Obviously not. Notice the last one is the most important. Did you catch that? The greatest of these... Is love. He says the last one is the most important, not the least one. Now I'm just playing with you there, just just to demonstrate to you, you can't make deductions like that in Scripture, because in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that reasoning just doesn't work. It's not the least. I'm going to try to give you an outline of 1 Corinthians, the whole book, to understand the discussion that we have in chapters 12, 13, and 14 specifically about speaking in tongues. Let's go back to the list in chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, the list. There are nine manifestations in which the Holy Spirit is manifest. The first one in verse 8 is the word of knowledge. I'm not going to teach today on the word of knowledge. That will, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Word of wisdom. Where am I? Sorry. The word of wisdom is the first one that is mentioned. I'm not going to spend today dealing at all with the subject of what wisdom is or what a word of wisdom is. But I want you to notice it's first in his list because it is the first thing he dealt with in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, he deals with wisdom. The word wise, wiser, or wisdom is some 23, 24 times found in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. He's already dealt with the subject of the word of wisdom in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. For instance, in in the King James Bible, in chapter 2, he would say, if I can just put my finger on it here, 
verse 4. He says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You even see that phrase, word of wisdom, in chapter 2 and verse 4. You even see the phrase there, except it's word of man's wisdom, but we're going to learn the words of the Holy Spirit's wisdom. He's already dealt with the issue of man's wisdom versus the Holy Ghost wisdom as a gift of the Spirit. Already dealt with it in chapters 1 to 4. And if you want to understand what word of wisdom is, we have to mind the fields of chapters 1 to 4. The second gift that he mentions in chapter 12 is the word of knowledge. He has already dealt with that in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. About knowledge, he says knowledge puffs up, but it's charity that edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but it is charity that edifies. He's already dealt with that issue, uh, what a word of knowledge is. And after dealing with two of the favorite gifts that the Corinthians have, and he mentions this wisdom and knowledge because they seem to be fascinated with wisdom and knowledge, these Corinthians. And he's dealt with their abuses and he's dealt with their misunderstandings of wisdom and with knowledge. But he's saving the baby to the last. Because where they are really ignorant and where they are really abusive in the things of the Spirit, even beyond their perception of wisdom and their perception of knowledge, where they're really abusive is the issue of tongues. So after he mentions word of wisdom and word of knowledge, which he's already dealt with in 1 Corinthians, then he would go on to list in a random ad hoc manner five other gifts. Prophecies, which is Paul's favorite, as we're going to see. Uh, Healings, faith, working of miracles, discerning of spirits. And after he finishes that, he mentions the last two Diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And the reason he mentions them last is because he saved the big issue to the end to discuss. The big issue that needs correction is their abuse of tongues and lack of interpretation of tongues. So tongues is mentioned last not because it's least, but because it's the biggest problem they're having and he's, everything he's saying in Corinthians is building up to his, his argument over tongues. That's why it's mentioned last, because everything is building up towards that argument. Um, and he's going to deal with tongues at length in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now, I'm going to delve in deeply into 1 Corinthians 14, but before we do, I'm going to give you the classic Pentecostal teaching about speaking in tongues. The classic stance of of Pentecostal denominations. I'm not saying that I agree with the stance, but I'm going to say here is what is most commonly taught. Most Pentecostal denominations would say that there are three kinds of speaking in tongues. Three classifications to speaking in tongues. The first classification would be, this is the initial evidence that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit 
as a separate and subsequent experience to being born again. Let me repeat that. That speaking in tongues is the first and the initial evidence that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit as a separate and subsequent experience to being born again. There is tongues, the evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. As we're going to see in the hundred years since the pouring out of the Spirit, hundred years ago, that position has changed many, many times in Pentecostal circles. But classic Pentecostal teaching today, if you were to attend the Assemblies of God, their statement of faith would say you must speak in tongues as evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you would look at the Elam statement of faith, they would not stress that. The Assemblies of God does stress it. Elam as a denomination does not. Elam as a denomination would say it would be one of several signs that the Lord would give. So we've got... I'll work through the, the, some of the history of how people came to their conclusions. The second category of tongues would be it's something that God gives you for your devotional life. Something that God gives you for your devotional life. And in that scheme of thinking, you are not thinking of the gift of tongues as much as your private heavenly language, your devotional language, which if you would use that, you would be built up and you would be edified. And the third classification of tongues is the gift of tongues that... Not is given, not given to everybody. Everybody has devotional tongues, but not every, not everybody would manifest what they call the gift of tongues, which is for use in the public assembly, which should be followed by an interpretation. So this scheme of thinking says tongues is the baptism of the Holy Spirit evidence, and then in your personal life you should be praying in tongues every day. And even though everyone should be praying in tongues every day, not everybody would manifest a gift of tongues for public use. This scheme of thinking uh, separates the gift of tongues and public use as something separate and distinct from speaking in tongues in your everyday life. Now that is classic Pentecostal thinking, classic Pentecostal teaching. In this scheme of thinking, though, when you start reading 1 Corinthians 14, you, have, you don't know whether Paul is talking about your private devotional tongues or he's talking about tongues in, in, assemb- in, in public assemblies. Um, I will say up front that personally I have difficulty, and I'll show you why, I have difficulty accepting that standard uh, way that I have just told you. It's got some strengths. But I've got this brain in my head that's always asking questions, why? And it doesn't intellectually satisfy me uh, what I have just shared with you, though it is common. It doesn't, it doesn't ring true in every respect uh, to me. As you can see, there's going to be much debate uh, among Pentecostals about how to exactly interpret some of these things. I have difficulty with what I've just shared with you because I can't necessarily find support for that in my experience of reading the scriptures. 
I'm going to give you my personal understanding after many, many years of research and thought. And when I say it is my personal view, please do not imagine that I'm the only one with this view. There are several people within Pentecostal churches and scholars and Pentecostal scholars that have questioned that view I just gave you and have put forth what I'm going to share with you now. And that is this, I only see one category of tongues, not three. But I'm going to see one category of tongues that's used in five different ways. One category of tongues, just the gift of tongues. It's a gift. And it can be used in five different ways. The first way, the evidence that you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The evidence that you've come in, you've gone pressed beyond initial salvation to a divine counter with God. The evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We will open the question later, is this the only evidence? But yes, in the book of Acts, undeniably so, it often was the evidence. Undeniably so. So one use of tongues is it's evidence that you have, have pushed through and got through and you're broken through with God into a whole new charismatic dimension of the Spirit that has made you alive to the things of God. You wondered how you existed before. You know, you're through into a new reality. The evidence that you're in this new reality. The second use of this tongues is personal edification. Personal edification. We'll look at these things as we work through the day. But personal edification. The third use of these tongues is that it's edification of the entire church when it's interpreted. Edification of the entire church when they are interpreted. A fourth item is that it is a supernatural aid in prayer and worship. Tongues is a supernatural aid and assistance, divine assistance in prayer and in worship. And fifthly, it is a sign to unbelievers. And of course we will have to work through all of this to understand what that is. Let me say the five again. Evidence that you have entered a dynamic, charismatic dimension beyond your initial salvation. You have broken through to the tangible, supernatural power of a living God. You've broken through. Second, personal edification as you learn to pray in tongues. And you develop the art of praying in tongues in your everyday life. It brings personal edification. Well, look at what that means. Thirdly, we said edification for the entire church only when they are interpreted. Your speaking in tongues will edify you, but it doesn't edify me. And that's going to be an important doc, uh, 
an important thing to consider as we work through. It only edifies the gathered corporate church when they're interpreted. Fourthly, a supernatural aid to assist you in prayer and in worship. And fifthly, it's a sign to unbelievers. How that is, we'll find out as we progress. I want you to note the following things that are said very positively about tongues in Scripture. Some of the positive things. First of all, it's a gift from God. Who would ever receive a gift from someone who loves you? They're a gift. They're listed as gifts of the Spirit. This is a gift from God to you to help you grow, mature, be edified, help you worship, help you to pray. It is a gift. Think of it in those terms. This is a gift that God has given you to build you up in your spirit man. It's a gift. Underline that word gift and meditate on it. It is a gift from God. How hurt would you be if you at Christmas time came up with the best gift you could think of to give to the one you love for their good, for their betterment, for their edification, for their future, and they refused to open it? How would you feel at being spurned like that? Tongues is a gift from your Heavenly Father for your spiritual betterment, for your personal edification, for your growth, for your development. Why would you not open the gift and receive it? It is a gift from God to you. I also want you to note tongues are broadly available to everybody. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 5. Look at Paul's sentiment. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. I would that you all spoke with tongues. I would that you all spoke with tongues. In verse 23, even though it is an abusive situation, he envisions everybody in the church speaking in tongues. In chapter 14, verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, then all speak with tongues. He just envisions everybody doing it. So it is broadly available to all people. I want you to note the following thing about tongues. Of all the gifts of the Spirit that he lists, tongues is the only gift for your personal edification. All the other gifts are for corporate edification. All the other gifts are to edify the church. Tongues is God's gift to you for your personal edification. Oh, hallelujah. Listen carefully. All the other gifts are how you can serve the church. 
But this gift is to serve you. Of all the gifts of the Spirit, this is the one that is designed to serve you. If you prophesy, it's for the benefit of others. In your daily life, when you're praying in tongues, it's for your benefit. So God has given one gift that is unique from the others. It's for personal edification as opposed to the corporate edification. I can't stress enough how important that is to understand that. Another thing to note about speaking in tongues, tongues are controlled by the speaker. You can use them at will anytime and anywhere without necessarily having to be touched by God. I can speak in tongues at will, but I cannot prophesy at will. I can speak in tongues at will, but I cannot produce a gift of faith at will. Tongues is a gift that is given to you for you to exercise sovereignty over. The other gifts, you can't say that. You can start and stop speaking in tongues anytime you want to. The authority and the sovereignty of that gift has been given to you. That's not so with the other gifts. That's an important distinction to realize. Also, something interesting, tongues is the only gift that is not found in the Old Testament. All the other gifts of the Spirit are. All the other manifestations you can find in the Old Testament. Can you find a word of wisdom in the Old? Yes. Can you find a word of knowledge in the Old? Yes. Can you find healing in the Old? Yes. Can you find workings in the Old? Miracles of Workings of miracles, can you find that in the Old? Absolutely. You know there's one gift you cannot find in the Old? That is tongues. It is distinctly something that is New Testament. Distinctly New Testament. Only uniquely manifest after the day of Pentecost. Tongues is only manifest after the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. Hallelujah. Why is that the case? Well, maybe as we discuss this over the next several hours or days, how long it's going to take us to get through this, maybe we can discern why that is the case. Now, there was kind of a manifestation of tongues in a sort when Daniel saw the handwriting on the wall, and nobody understood that. But as far as people speaking in tongues... Completely, only after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out in all flesh. It's distinctly something that you and I experienced, that Daniel the prophet, or Isaiah the prophet, or Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, none of them had this opportunity. What a privilege. What a privilege has been given to you and I. Also, we could say this, that tongues is often referred to as the starter gift. And what do I mean by a starter gift? It means that when you become fluent and you become free in the exercise of speaking in tongues in your own personal devotional life, it ignites the other gifts of the Spirit in your life. It ignites your ability. As you are building yourself up, it opens in your own heart and in your own spirit the potential for other gifts of the Spirit to start flowing through you for corporate edification 
or for evangelism or for missions or things of this nature. Often referred to as the starter gift. One of the types of candelabra that are in Jewish history is a seven, uh, I believe it's no, seven or nine, no, a nine-fold candle. I know there's a seven one, but there's also a nine one. And the interesting thing is about they're all fixed except the middle one. If you light the middle candle, you can lift that candle and light the other ones with it. And that's what it is like speaking in tongues. When that is lit in your life, it can touch other areas of your life and, and give birth to other gifts and other ministries in your life. Um, are we going to solve the problem of speaking in tongues the evidence? There are a variety of views in that which I've shared with you all already. Um, there are non-Pentecostal groups, a lot of evangelical churches who would teach that at your conversion, you receive all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to receive at your conversion. That would be those churches that are Calvinistic in their theology, and they would never be looking for a further experience uh, in God. Uh, you got everything you got when you said a sinner's prayer. Obviously, you can figure out that I do not agree with that position, and that cannot be held up in Scripture whatsoever. There are those who would teach that you have to speak in tongues as evidence, and that would be your assemblies of God. That would be in their statement of faith. And there are those, such as in the Elam, the present statement of the Elam church, is that tongues may be one of several evidences, but it doesn't have to be the only one. Sometimes that position is criticized by other people saying, well, you're just giving excuses and false comfort for those who don't break through in tongues. And you're just letting them off the hook and you should really work it. And just so they do break forth in tongues. And they're all of this debate. For those who teach that you must speak in tongues as the single evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, they would refer to Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 where it says all 120 in the upper room, they all spoke in tongues, none excluded. On the day of Pentecost, all 120 in the upper room, none excluded. They all spoke in other tongues. They would often refer to that scripture, emphasize the word all. They all spoke in tongues. The same rationalization is taken from Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 46. When Peter is preaching to the household of Cornelius, the Holy Ghost fell on them all. While they were, Peter was preaching, Acts 10, 44 to 46, and everybody there spoke in tongues. The same rationale is used in Acts chapter 19, and verse number 6, when Paul travels to the city called Ephesus and he finds 12 certain disciples who he discovers only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. When Paul gave them further instruction and further teaching about the gospel, he prayed for them and the result was in Acts 19 and verse number 6 that all 12 spoke with other tongues. And I also want you to note they also prophesied.
It didn't take them a year to figure out how to prophesy. They were prophesying the same day they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's an important observation as well. But in those three stories, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, the record is they all spoke in tongues. That's the record. And they go on to say in Acts chapter 8, in the story of Philip preaching in Samaria, that the whole city was filled with great joy. Come on, the gospel leaves you happy. The gospel leaves you happy. The gospel makes you glad. When sick are healed and demons are cast out and the lame are walking and the blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing, it makes you happy. Come on. It makes you glad. Joy goes out with the preaching of the gospel. It puts a smile on your face. Sometimes you even get undignified you're so happy. You know, it's just the joy of the Lord. And, but the Holy Ghost had not yet, not yet fallen on them, the Scripture says. And so when Peter and John, back in Jerusalem, heard of what was going on with the Samaritans, can you believe it? Those non-full Jews, those Samaritans. Well, Peter and John went down with them for the purpose of laying hands on them. So the Samaritans also, after their repentance and after their water baptism, under the ministry of Philip the deacon of all people, that they also would be sealed with the Holy Ghost. And they did. But there's no record in Acts 8 that they spoke in tongues. But as will be pointed out to you, there was a man there by the name of Simon the Sorcerer who used to amaze the people with his magic tricks and his sorcery abilities. And when he saw what happened when Peter and John laid their hands on them, Well, he was jealous. So whatever happened, it was a manifestation. Whatever happened, it was a demonstration that far exceeded anything he could ever do as a sorcerer. And he wanted to trade in his sorcery for imparting the Holy Ghost to people because there was greater manifestations. So while we are not told that they spoke in tongues in Acts 8, you are certainly told that whatever happened was phenomenal. That was majestic. That it was powerful. That was outwardly demonstrated that there was definite some sort of manifestation that makes a sorcerer willing to trade in his sorcery for that. So it wasn't any quiet, unseen influence. And then in Acts chapter 9, when Saul of Tarsus is converted... And he spends three days blind in Damascus. I imagine in those three days he had to think through an awful lot of things. You see, he believed that the resurrection was in the future. And then he happened to meet someone on the Damascus road that had already been raised from the dead. How do you deal with this? And he had to rethink through his theology thoroughly, through and through. And Ananias, a certain disciple... The Lord that appeared to you has sent me to pray for you. That you would be filled with the Holy Ghost and you would be healed from the blindness that had come upon him. It doesn't say that he spoke in tongues in Acts 9. But Paul's own personal testimony in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 18 
his own personal testimony was that he spoke in tongues more than the Corinthians did. Which means that was quite a boast. Because the Corinthians were very, very abusive in their speaking of tongues. It was overboard in their public services. And Paul says, you may not ever hear me speak in tongues, but I want to tell you personally, I speak in tongues more than any of you. was his personal testimony. So did he get it at Acts 9? If he didn't get tongues in Acts 9, he certainly got it somewhere down the road. And he is unashamedly speaking in tongues. So for those who would preach that you must speak in tongues as evidence, would give you the arguments that I have just laid out for you. That is their, their, their arguments. Sometimes it's asked in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 30, where Paul would ask this question, Does everybody have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? And sometimes that verse is used to suggest that um, not everybody needs to speak in tongues. For those who preach that you must speak in tongues, their interpretation of verse 30 is that Paul is not referring to the gift of tongues for public use. uh, Though that Paul is referring to the gift of tongues, he's not referring to your devotional tongues. And because they make that distinction between devotional tongues and the public gift of tongues, they would say that refers to the public gift of tongues and is not speaking as tongues as evidence of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the question is asked in Acts 2, there was wind and there was fire, tongues of fire on people's heads. Why doesn't God do that again? And the answer to that question they would give you is that the wind and the fire is signs of God giving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that Pentecost had arrived and tongues is the evidence that you have received the Holy Spirit. So wind and fire is God's evidence of giving. Tongues is your evidence of receiving. And that is the, the way of their thinking. Having said that, I can't believe I've already gone for an hour because I'm only on page three. God bless.